check, check. This is Big Will from the Heavy Hole Podcast, and tonight it's my honor to bring my old friend, Jeff Gross, professional zookeeper at the Bronx Zoo, onto the Heavy Hole Podcast. Welcome aboard, Jeff. Hey, how's it going? Uh, very Good to see you as always, sir. You as well, man. And it's going great for me now, especially that I got you up here on the podcast. Um, as I said, you you grew up with uh, myself. I was behind the scenes. We were told you grew up with me and um, Tom Anderer, who people know from Buckshot Facelift and Grace Guys Fall and Reeking Aura. You know, listeners of the show are familiar. Um, you were you were in bands with some of our friends growing up, and you you pursued this zookeeper life. So I just wanted to bring yeah. you on and pick your brain, Jeff. Like I was telling you about, man. Um, the leadoff question I always talk about: Are you from a musical family? Was there anyone older than yourself in your family that steered you towards music? Um, and in your and in our, yeah. you know, and in your case, heavy music and and that sort of thing too. I'll let you take over. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, as far as music goes, I, I feel like I had a very atypical upbringing to to like a normal human. <laughs> um, so, I mean, my parents both love music. Um, my dad, as awkward as he can be and weird, like love Motown. Like I listened to so much Motown growing up, like I can't even begin to explain it. My mom really loved everything. And surprisingly for as, and I say this with love, as uptight as they are, they went to a ton of concerts when I was younger. They used to go see Jimmy Buffett. Um, they used to go to like reggae shows. They used to go see Harry Belafonte, like stuff like that. Um, so, hey, I hey Jeff, definitely, I, I'm not. Yeah. I'm getting a little bit of um, background noise. Oh. So I'm not sure if you're moving stuff around or if you got it. Uh... It's Mishka chewing on a bone. Get out. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. Sorry, dude. Just... <laughs> she just looked at me with shock. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry to your dog, dude. I, yeah, I didn't want to. Um... They want to let that, let that interrupt your, your, your uh, time. No, it's fine. Um, do you want me to start again? Should I, uh, no, no, no. Uh, you, you, uh, you're, um, uh, it all picked up. You said your, uh, something about your mom and who was it? My mom and my dad. Yeah, they both. I mean, they're like I said, they're kind of like. Was it Jim? They were Jim? very uptight when I was growing up. Yeah. But like, yeah, they uh, surprisingly love music a lot. Um, so I was exposed to a lot of Motown, um, a, lot, a lot of Bob Marley. Um, Harry Belafonte, that kind of stuff. Then I also had two older brothers. Uh, my oldest brother was nine years older than me, and my other brother is six years older than me. So when I was like real young, and I'm talking like first and second grade, they were like recording tapes for me of like Metallica and Primus and Black Sabbath and ZZ Top. I loved ZZ Top when I was like little kid. It was my absolute favorite. I had that little Walkman that, um, I think it was like a Sony one, but it was like red and you could see the gears moving inside and stuff like it was made for kids. And I'd be rocking like Black Sabbath and like uh, uh, and even like Dio Black Sabbath. Uh, yeah, so that was like the first stuff I listened to. And then my middle brother was in bands when he was in high school. He was a singer. Um, kind of like, you know, early to mid 90s, I guess. Actually, early 90s. Yeah. Any uh, like 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 local bands, bands that that we might have known about, or no, 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 it was a totally different thing than us. They never, you know, they never really uh, played much anywhere. It was kind of like during the whole Nirvana, Pearl Jam era thing. Okay, because I I want to get into the the phase where you start playing um, drums and where you you know you played in some local bands with friends uh, of ours. But mm. the other question that now. 
Uh, I'll flip the the typical heavy hole podcast intro question. In your family, was there anyone, uh, any relative, and anyone that that persuaded you in some way, or was there any experience that you can look back on and say, um, you know, th- this in some way is is you know influenced me to be a zookeeper, or this might be a reason why this appealed to me. All right, so um, yeah, uh, you know, we all grew up on Long Island in Huntington together, so I mean, we obviously know what that's like. It's very suburban. Um, and my mom grew up in Maryland. My dad grew up on Long Island also. My dad's whole side of the family is from New York. My mom's whole side of the family is from Maryland. And my mom grew up on a farm. Uh, like it was a working farm. You know, they had horses, cattle, uh, they grew, grew, um, grew corn, that kind of thing. Um, so my mom's always been really fond of animals. Uh, you know, I used to go visit my grandparents, um, you know, take care of the horses, milk cows, the whole thing. Um, so I was introduced to animals at a very young age. Um, and even growing up, uh, I always had animals around the house. We had dogs, we had, you know, birds, um, lots of lizards and snakes. And um, and then even my oldest brother was, you know, he got like real deep into reptiles at one point um, where he was, you know, we had like a 20 foot African rock python in his basement that he got from the Long Island Reptile Museum because it got too big for them. And he was like, yeah, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> and he used to like, ma- he used to manage pet stores all over the place. Like some like crazy exotic ones. Like, so, I think he might've at one point, uh, what was the one in the big H with the yellow sign? Oh, I remember it. I definitely remember it. I, we probably got some, it gold- wasn't Selmer's was it? Was no, it that was, that, no, that wasn't some, it was pet, pet land discounts. Yeah, so I know yeah. he managed that store for a yeah. while. Um, so I had a lot of animals around me my whole childhood. And, uh, you know, I, I always went up to, like, uh, he's like, my mom would always get those, like, you know, you get them that from town hall, and they'd be, like, summer programs or stuff, like, that the town would run, or it'd be, like, a week-long little camp thing. And there'd always be these ones out, like, the Cold Spring Harbor Labs, or, like, actually, funny enough, now that I think about it, Loverich used to be a counselor at one of them when he was older. It was like nature camp. And they'd take like classes out after school or stuff like that to like go into the marshes and shit like that. Huh. So my mom was always signing me up for things like that too. A lot of us had, you know, pets growing up, iguana here, you know, pet here. First of all, before we talk about your brother and and what he was into, you 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 know, you're talking about a farm, a real active farm dealing with animals. And what I'm getting at with there is early on in life, you kind of realize, like, it's not all fun and games taking care of animals. I'm sure you saw some of, like, the kind of, the more ugly side of dealing with animals, so to speak. I don't know if you want to call it that, but but you know what I'm getting at, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, you know... My grandparents, from what I understand, were from Baltimore. They're actually city people and wanted to get out of the city. And they ended up buying this farm out in Western Maryland. And I, I, I think it was before they started having kids. Like, I don't think any of my mom, I, I know my mom did, but I don't think any of my aunts did either ever lived in Baltimore. Um, but they were actually city people and just kind of figured it out as they were going. <laughs> and he had originally bought the land. He was like, I guess he had like him and his friends had like a plane and they bought it so they could take off and land from what? the from the from the land. Yeah. From that piece of property. Um, 
And, you know, we're talking like old, we're talking like the thirties and forties, not like, like modern, beautiful, nice Cessnas. We're talking like very basic aviation stuff. And, um, I guess <laughs> the land costs so much, um, and like they couldn't afford it, so they basically had to like keep the farm running to be able to afford to live there. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, you know, my mom woke up and milked the cows and like you know grained up the horses every day before she went to school, that kind of stuff. Her cousins all hunted on the property, and um, you know, I had a job uh, for a little while working for the vet school at University of Georgia. And we had like 60 goats that they were doing a study on with, um, what's it called? Uh, oh, I can't remember the name of it. The, the, when, when a mammal gives birth, there's a certain kind of milk that comes out first, uh, colostrum. There we go. They were doing a study on colostrum in goats. So I had to like, you know, there's like 60 goats who were responsible for milking. And I remember my mom just being like, Oh, you should have no problem with that. You, you used to do that when you're a little kid all the time. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm like, I'll be fine. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, that's that's pretty much exactly what I was getting at with that question. Um, all right. We're, we're going to, I want to we'll put a pin in that for a minute now um, because I, I still do want to talk. I want to talk about a little bit of hardcore in high school or stuff, but that might come later. <laughs> So your older brother too, man. I mean, I assume both your brothers had that experience on the farm as well, or similar experiences with animals. Yeah. Okay. So that would explain why your brother is probably like into the gets a isn't just your typical pet store manager. He brings the snake from the Long Island Reptile Museum home. I mean, yeah. that's that's not, yeah. Not, yeah. Not every guy that's working at Petco is doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. So tell me about that. Like, how did? I mean, was was it your parents' house? Was it like, hey, mom, hey, dad? Uh, you know, there's there's this little so, little critter. Yeah, I mean, you know? my oldest brother was very I'll call him complicated, <laughs> and at some point, like he was like following the Grateful Dead, doing a lot of smoking a lot of weed, doing a lot of acid. Mm. Um, so he would bring snakes home and have pets in the house, and it was uh, God, man. Oh, he oh, I even forgot before his reptiles, it was fish. He was Riley. Uh, I forgot about that. He used to have a ton of fish tanks. He had saltwater reef tanks and more eels and octopus. And then that kind of morphed into the reptiles. I totally forgot about that. Moray reels and uh, moray eels. I'm sorry. And octopus in the house in a tank. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's that's right there. That's aquarium level yeah. animals in the house. So that's like complicated saltwater filtration systems like yeah. that. That's not a fishbowl. That's crazy. Yes, I forgot. I entirely forgot it used to be fish tanks. Wait a minute. So now I got to ask this. Your brother's a deadhead, allegedly did acid in the in the day. He's got an octopus. <laughs> got an octopus right in the basement. Did he ever trip and like try to talk with that octopus or get the telekinesis going? I have no idea to be honest. That would be a missed opportunity. You know, funny enough though, uh, you know, obviously as you get older and turn into adults, you can talk to your siblings and your parents like adults and be, you know, a lot more honest or whatever. Um, I was hanging out with my brother once and we were talking about something and he just kind of, we were like drinking at a bar and kind of out of nowhere, he was like, he was like, yeah, I know you and your friends used to steal my weed when you were younger. <laughs> <He> was like, <laughs> I was like, seriously, you knew I was always careful not to take too much. He goes, 
Yeah, well, you get a notice when drugs are missing. Good point. <laughs> Good point. Good point. He was point. like, but I couldn't say anything because, you know, then that would be admitting that I had weed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get into. I I played with fire once or twice, pinching weed, oh, yeah, when I was younger. Yeah. yeah, man, not not a good look, man. <laughs> not a good look. Um, uh, all right. So when now let's I I again I want to put a pin in this stuff for a minute. Get back to the animals because that's obviously a big part of your life. But when do the yeah. when do you start playing the drums? Oh, uh, so again, I'm gonna go back too far. This is like. Uh, when I was in elementary school, I wanted to play music. I wanted to learn to play an instrument, you know, and I guess it was what, around like third or fourth grade when that option became available to us, something like that in elementary school. And they set me up on the cello. Okay. Um, cello was okay. Um, I don't know why. Well, I know why now. I always had a real hard time learning and focusing on sheet music. Like I'd try and look at it and I couldn't like, couldn't do it. Um, my, it, it would feel like my eyes were jumping around. Like I couldn't like just read notes in a line. So I had a lot of trouble with it. Um, and then I think the very next year is when, cause I think that first year it was only cello or violin you were allowed to learn in school. And then the next year is when all the other instruments opened up. So maybe fourth grade. And I remember even then being like, I want to play drums. Like I want to, I want to play drums. And the, you know, the music director or whatever, the music teacher was like, no, no, you have long arms. You're going to play trombone. <laughs> and I was like, trombone, this sucks. <laughs> but then same problem. Like I can't read sheet music. And I know now it's just because I have this massive giant fucking ADHD. Um, so I was never able to focus on the sheet music. Like I just couldn't, like literally I try and look at it and it's like my eyes would just like slide over and take in nothing. It's like it's like trying to hold on to like a greasy piece of marble. It would just slide out. <laughs> um, so then I think I did trombone for a year, and then I didn't do anything again with school because I was like, I don't like this. I don't want to do this. And I was like kind of upset about it because I really wanted to learn to play drums. And um, I started taking like private lessons up at uh, someplace on Jericho Turnpike. Maybe it was Sam Ash. I don't know. I don't think it's there anymore, though. Would it maybe Monroe Music? Yeah, that's it. Mm. Yeah, Monroe Music. So I started taking lessons. They had like a they had a couple rooms in the basement. Each one of them had a drum set. Um, you know, just learning basic stuff. Um, and then I think I got like my first drum set. I think I got when I was like, I want to say like thirteen. That that makes and, sense. Yeah, and then I then I had a teacher for a little while for like a year who had me playing a lot of uh Zeppelin and the police. That's what that was his thing. He was teaching me that. And then I think v right before I stopped taking lessons from is when I had enough money saved up to buy a double bass pedal. Cause like at that point I was like, all right, you know, I was already like I want to play double bass drum and start playing metal and stuff. And I remember he came and um, came over to teach me one night and there was a double bass pedal and he was kind of just like, oh, you've got one of these. And he was like kind of like a really old, not he wasn't old, but like his mentality, he was like a very much a traditionalist. He didn't like double bass pedals. He thought they were 
Like he didn't like, he was just like, no, this isn't real drumming. Um, so then I kind of stopped taking lessons with him soon thereafter that. And after that, I just kind of taught myself everything. Okay. And I, I remember when you were, um, you said about 13, that sounds right. Cause you and I met in like seventh grade when probably around 12, yeah. 13, yeah, uh, junior, junior, high. junior high, man. And, uh, that's around the time Tom Andrew came into my, and a lot of our mutual friends, mm-hmm. um, you, if now I, I'm trying to get this right, were you in Arise? Was that the band that yeah. you guys started back in the day? And who was that? That was maybe J- Riley? No, it was me, Tom, Chris Eckert originally. Wow. Wow. Um, and then Hickey replaced huh. Chris Eckert in junior high school, maybe. Okay, so this was almost like a pre-Long Endured and Strong Point kind of... Uh, well, Long Endured was happening concurrent. Okay. Was, yeah. That's right, because I've, I think I talked about this once or twice on the... There was one time where my the band I was in, Cursed Earth, which yep. was really based out of New Hyde Park in Queens. I would take the train from Huntington, so like... My high school friends weren't really aware of that band. Like, 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 I wouldn't have blamed you guys for thinking I was making it all up <laughs> when I came in on, <laughs> on Monday mornings because it, it wasn't really involved anyone in Huntington. But um, the one time we played a show, it was with Long Endured, and Tom was in Long Endured at that point too. Tom was kind of yeah. doing double duty. Tom always doing double duty: bass, guitar, yeah. whatever you need. You know, to this yeah, day, Tom's a maniac. To this day, man. We're, we'll get Tom on here eventually, man. I, I've, I have. Uh, asked Tom Andrew of um, Reeking Aura and Gray Skies Fallen and Buckshot to come on, man. When the time is right, he's going to unveil his madness to the world. Um, <laughs> love, love, we love Tom, man. We, we got a great group of friends, man. Um, so now in that time, I would, now here's the thing. My, my memory is a little fuzzy. Were you guys out there playing? Because I, I know like Long Endured played some shows. Was Arise out there also playing in the scene? And, and the, the... Yeah, not, not as much. I mean... For lack of a better um, way to say it, I mean, Maluk was like tenacious and yes. shameless about self-promoting and literally just walking up to like anyone and be like, hey, can you get shows? Can you get shows? To the point where he'd just wear people down. And not that they didn't deserve it. They were they were a good band. But, you know, I mean, that's how like he got that, that initial in. Um, with us... Matt, you know, Matt's parents were like super supportive of them, which was great. I'm not saying that my parents were not. Mm. They hated any time we practice at the house and they were just super pissy about it. So it was really hard for us to be able to get together. And then Tykeman was also really flaky trying to get him to come out to practice. Um, so it was just tough for us to even get all four of us to get together to play. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I remember, I mean, we played one terrible show. I remember we opened for Earth Crisis at Voodoo Lounge. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is the one story I and I, I I'm glad it checks food. out. Yeah. I'm like Justin told me about this with there was like <laughs> it was like of all shows you played with Earth Crisis at at Voodoo yeah. Lounge. All right. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll let you take over from here. All right. And and for the listeners, for the listeners, just keep in mind we're talking about a band of like 13 and 14 year old kids. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so um... was 1997 maybe. So yeah, night, no, no. yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. So we're waiting to play, and I can't remember, or I can't remember if it was before we played or after we played, but I feel like it was before. And everybody's like starving. You know, we had to be like driven out there. 
and we're hungry, but like the bouncers like wouldn't let us bring any food in. Uh, for what, you know, it's typical club rules like, oh, no outside food or drinks, but they didn't have food, but they wouldn't let us bring food in. And we were fucking starving. And there was like a Chinese food place across the street. So Tom and I think, yeah, and I think Justin decide to go get Chinese food and sneak it back in. Yeah. And they've got it stuffed all in their fucking clothes. And like hiding it under their shirt and in their pants and shit. And Tom comes back and the fucking general service chicken piping hot spills all over his crotch, all down his fucking legs. And he's got to play. He's got to play soon. And his fucking, his whole pants are just soaked in general service chicken sauce. And then we still ate it. We salvaged what we couldn't, we ate it. So, all right. So he legitimately snuck cooked chicken into an earth crisis show that that it's a good thing you guys broke up when you did and just, just <laughs> called it a buck when it was man damn yeah. all right man that, yeah that, yeah that that, that uh, um that's a good one man Yo, shout out to, we're talking about when people were kids man um and then you know uh, uh through the years um Maluk, who you mentioned, who was the drummer of Long Endured, went on to be in Craig. The ba- the actual band was named Craig, like the person's yeah. name. He played uh he played with From Autumn From Ashes too, didn't he? Yeah, wasn't he, that the last thing he did? He did a few tours with them. I don't know that he was ever like an active, active like full time yeah. dr- drummer for the band, but yeah, he did that. Man, he was shot to Maluk. He's like, I think <laughs> last I heard, he does like he does like cover band stuff with uh he's 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 I, I from what i understand he's pretty successful in his professional life man he does he does good things um he's he, he got he got out of the underground music scene unlike me um so uh now going through high school though you still stayed into hardcore and we're going to some of the local long island shows out there back yeah. in the 90s right okay. um um have you kept in touch with the scene since then you, you still you still you know check yeah. in with long island hardcore yeah, no, and that i sort still of- go to shows every chance i get um Funny enough, I fucking ruptured my Achilles tendon at a decision show in April. Wow. All right. <laughs> there you go, man. 41 year old man dances at hardcore show. Achilles fucking explodes. That sounds like what's that? What's that? The hard times? That, that, uh, the, the, yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly what that is. Man. Um, uh, and you guys, um, when I saw you in Loverich last, you, I think he was talking about some what show? What he was wearing a shirt or somebody. He saw some, uh, there was some other, all the reunion shows are happening now, man. Oh man, I mean, there's been so many. Yeah, yeah, and they're still going on. I showed you guys the cipher yeah. one. I think the cipher one is still coming up, man. I gotta look at that. Yeah, the cipher one's happening. Yeah, uh, they're doing. I think that's a, one of them is at the Monarch in Brooklyn. Yeah, and not that it's a reunion show, but Hatebreed is doing like a three three day residency oh, at, at, at Abbeville Musical. Musical. <laughs> a residency, Dude, I love it. I remember. I think we played a show with Hatebreed there. Us and Long Endured, but whatever it used to be called. Oh, that's that's OG shit, man. But what yeah. was it? People, people are listening to the show. No Amityville Musical before it was Amityville Musical. It was a bar. What was that? Now this is gonna haunt me because I I remember going there to see. They were probably called the rooftop at that point. So our, oh, our, our, Justin our, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is escaping me what the what the Amityville Music Hall was called when it was a bar under yeah, completely different remember. ownership. But that's crazy that Hatebreed played in that building and with long and long endured yeah. of all that dude. I one of my I've gone through all my CDs top to bottom. I've been been you know up and down my parents' house in the basement. I wish for the life of me I could find that long endured arise split CD. Oh, I have it on my I have it on my fucking computer. 
I would I I would I would love that, but I I you know I I had the original copy with the I was yeah. there's a, there's like a collage. There's a picture of Bill Mortensen and a wife beater and shit, man. There's a <laughs> there's a bunch of crew so, shit. Speaking of hate breed, man, honestly, to this day, the best, like most wildest show I've ever been to, was at Center Each VFW. Mm. And it was hate breeding Candiria. This is probably like. A year and a half, two years before Hatebreed really blew up when he took over Headbangers Ball. Jesus Christ, dude. That place was packed. That was a big room for a VFW, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that place just exploded. Candiria and, and Hatebreed. And I just remember at one point watching it. People are going nuts. Riley was there with me. Huh. And Jamie gets on the mic for one of the breakdowns. I don't remember what song it was, but he was just like, He's just like, if you're not fucking dancing, you're running scared. And the fucking place just exploded. The dance floor turned into the entire fucking place. And it was easily one of the best shows I've ever seen. That's that's why they don't have shows at VFW halls as much anymore. I can't say that. I can't say that, man. There's some, there's some good places popping back up now. But there was a long period where you couldn't book shows at VFW halls or Knights of Columbus or anything because all the... All yeah. the when I tell kids, like younger kids, I work with a lot of younger kids, you know, I mean, zookeeping has like a whole age range of hmm. everyone straight out of college to like people in their 60s. So when I tell young kids like, yeah, I used to go to like kids that are into punk or hardcore or metal, I'm like, oh, yeah, all the best shows when I was a kid, you know, reputable clubs like wouldn't have that kind of music. In them. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't be able to go see it down at the Paramount in Huntington. So it would be at like VFWs, Legion Halls, basements of churches. And they're like, what? They just think that's like crazy. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the old first church in Huntington used to have some great hardcore. So they used to have like uh, uh, like hardcore bands would play, and the ska flaws. Yeah. They had some really mixed bills, like uh, stuff that I appreciate that's now. Like, I wish I appreciated when I was like twelve, thirteen. You know, I mean, the ska flaws are the reason I got into hardcore. Yeah, yeah. people people yeah. miss that connection, and and uh, um. You know, I want to do like a Sky episode one day because Sky has become like this meme and yeah, yeah. maybe rightfully so if you just kind of know like the mighty, mighty Boston's and a couple, you yeah. know, but but people don't really know the history of it and how it like kind of like also goes hand in hand with punk rock and hardcore and, well, and, I mean, and that sort of thing. Further to that extent, reggae. Yeah. Know? Like yeah. the strong connection between reggae and punk and hardcore and Sky is like it's all interconnected. And mm -hmm. I try and tell people that, and, you know, it's like all that shit kind of spawned from Rocksteady and kind of like, you know, blossomed out into these multiple different facets. Yeah, but when you commercialize it all, you know, kids are like, well, what does some 41 yeah. have to do with Sean Paul? I don't get it. You yeah. Know? yeah um, exactly. You know, yeah, people got to study their history. It's something I've been wanting to break into. I was actually, shout to uh, our friend Mel, uh, Skinhead Mel, man. I, I, we, over the years, we keep touching base and, and losing, but I wanted to get him on the show one time to talk a little bit about oi music in a similar fashion and kind of, yeah. um, uh, just something that I don't know as much about, but, you know, talk about a little bit more this you know just educate people a little bit but um all right so 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 you're moving through high school um 90s hardcore is there uh when you were in when we were in high school did you have it in your head i want to be a zookeeper yeah i've known that for a long time um it wasn't be a zookeeper specifically being a kid and being an idiot i was like i want to play with tigers 
I was like, I want to get paid to play with tigers. That's what I want to do. Um, you know, which turned obviously the normal avenue of playing with tigers would be zookeeper as opposed to say circus trainer. <laughs> um, yeah. So then that eventually turned into trying to figure out how to do that. And I mean, if I could go back and do it a different way, I definitely would have. Um, but the closest approximation I came up with was going to get a degree in wildlife and conservation biology. Why do you say you, you would have done it a different way? Uh, so there's multiple ways to become a zookeeper, um, especially back then. Um, but I didn't know any of that. So, I mean, especially, especially specifically the Bronx Zoo, the Bronx Zoo still kind of has this, had this old school mentality where you could work your way in. You could start out as like a concession stand person and then, you know, next summer work in the camel barn. If you do good there, oh, maybe you get to work in the children's zoo and really work your way in. Um, instead of wasting a lot of time and money in college just to go shovel shit, you know? And I, I, I shouldn't make that basic analogy. Um, but it's a reality. But, of the, it's, a, it's a reality of the job. Yeah, there's a lot of that. There really is. Okay. And depending on what animals you work with, sometimes more than others. Okay. Thankfully, at this point in my career, you know, I'm just working with bears and big mm. cats. And they only poop like once or twice a day. Hmm. So I got it made pretty easy there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, there's different ways to get into it. Um, it's like every, every other industry. I feel like the norm has become go to college, you know, do a bunch of internships, AKA free labor. Um, and then maybe you score like a paid internship where, um, you know, you get to uh, get, you get a housing stipend, which I did. Um, you know, I lived in Arkansas in a fucking FEMA trailer for a year in the mountains in the Ozarks and lived and breathed, uh, you know, big cats and bears for a year living on site, um, which was awesome. Loved it. But yeah, you know, so it's one of those things where you got to pay your dues to get in. Um, and then once you're in, you're in. But it's competitive and it's cutthroat because there's all these people who want to get paid to work with animals, do all this stuff. So, I mean, there's it's it's there's a lot of people trying to get very few jobs. So that initial getting in there and getting the experiences is, is hard. It's a lot of just fucking working for free, essentially, <laughs> or for not very much. Did you take uh, a lot of gig jobs and stuff like that? Were, were you a bartender at one point or did I make oh, yeah. that up? Yeah, 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 I bartended for a long time. And, and that's the type of thing that a lot of people might do when they're doing internships and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I bartended for a long time. Yeah. I had kind of given up on it for a while, to be honest, um, until 2013, I ended up fucking going out to Arkansas for a year and kind of, that was really like the catalyst. Um, I worked at Turpentine Creek. Uh, it's a big cat sanctuary out there. Awesome place. Um, you know, they probably one of the best, if not the best sanctuary in the country. Uh, they were heavily involved with all that Tiger King bullshit. Um, I used to argue with that guy online all the time. He was like an hour from us. Wait, so the that documentary that they made a few years, Tiger King and all that, you know, yeah. I, I personally did not watch it, um, but I know it's a big pop culture thing and all that. So, so 
that was the, you had like some sort of like rivalry or or professional no, no, um, conflict with with them or so. So, being a part of that community, I obviously knew who Joe Exotic was long before the Netflix special came out. Mm. Um, and he was a shit show. Everyone knew what he was. Um, he was a scumbag. You know, he was breeding cats and letting people, we call it pay to play. Um, so essentially he was running a tiger farm um, where he had to have a constant supply of cubs so he could make money off people getting to, you know, play with them and take pictures with them. Uh, so we all knew about him long before that came out. And I used to, you know, I used to see his crazy videos and music videos he used to post. And uh, Turpentine Creek was involved in a rescue out in Colorado from like a similar, like a crappy roadside zoo that was getting shut down. And he started running his mouth. So I used to argue with him online all the time. And he would challenge me. He's like, you come on my show. He's like, I'll debate you. I'll debate anyone. And I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> like, I'll come on your show any day. Wow. And then he, everything I wrote, he, he would delete and block me. So I make new accounts and I keep trolling them. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that guy. Uh. But yeah, Turpentine Creek ended up running all the rescues and taking in most of the cats from his place. Wow. We're now when that occurred, when he uh, he got what, what was it? He got arrested, or or didn't his wife his, yeah. his wife killed him? Or there was something where no. somebody got killed or something. He tried to hire a hitman. Yeah. I... To kill Carol Baskin, the founder of Big Cat Rescue. Yeah, look, all this honey boo boo shit. I don't want to like yeah. rehash it on the show on on my platform. <laughs> but yeah, I know there was like like that's that's why I avoided this in the first place. Like I get <laughs> people found it entertaining. It's just enough already. I live in Huntington Station. There's like people that are like that guy, you know, on my block. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're breeding pit bulls though. Um, uh, yeah, uh, but. Yeah, so so whatever, but like so when they arrested this guy, whatever happened when when the authorities seized these animals, they went to this place that you are, um, I I working at training at. The authorities didn't seize the animals. The authorities don't have the means mm. to seize those animals. Got it. You know that is that kind of stuff is well beyond the means of like your local animal control. What happens is when USDA or police or whoever wants to shut someone down. They contact, you know, the place that's going to take them well beforehand. So Turpentine Creek is known for going in and rescuing animals. They're very well known um, to law enforcement nationally. And basically they called them up and they were like, you know, hey, we need we need help. We're, we're going to have to take these animals from this guy. And I'm not going to get into the details of it. Um, it happened a little, a little later after he went to prison. He was already out of the picture by the time it finally happened. There was someone else running it. Um, but they'll call them up and then Turpentine Creek is part of a network called the Big Cat Sanctuary Alliance, where all the good and best sanctuaries in the country work together to try and make room and build new habitats and exhibits for these animals. And then they all work together to go pick up these cats and move them all over the country. Um, I know Turpentine Creek, I think, took like half of them. And then the other ones went out to like lions, and tigers and bears in San Diego, Wildcat Sanctuary in Minnesota. Um, I think, uh, InSync Exotics in Texas took some. Yeah. Wow. So this is something that I hadn't really thought of when, when we were getting ready for this interview. It, now, people, um... 
Because the law enforcement and other authorities, you know, get involved and find people doing all sorts of horrible things with animals. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure the same way that there's human trafficking and drug smuggling. There's there's obviously networks of animal smugglers for different reasons yeah. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Is that something? I mean, that that's insidious. How how widespread is that really? Because you don't hear about that on the news as much as other issues. So not to bring it back to Tiger King, but after that blew up everyone that was kind of like connected to him and that was featured on that show, all their shit started coming out publicly stuff that like we people who do this for a living, who are ethical and who actually give a shit about the animals shit that we all already knew. So doc Antle was another big player. Um, Mm. And he owns Myrtle beach safari in South Carolina. He's now in prison for fucking endangered species trafficking and a whole host of other shit. And him and Joe, you know, let me, let me, some, some real basic math. If you're breeding tigers constantly because you need to have cubs to make money, what happens when they get big? Where do they go? Okay. That's, that's dark. That's dark. Yeah. So they were essentially, they were tiger farms. And, you know, at that point in time, there's some new laws now. Um, at that point in time, though, there was a very specific window where the public was legally allowed to have contact with these animals. Mm-hmm. And they would finagle that, you know, it was basically a two-week window in, in their lives. And they would still push the limits and there'd be people playing with cubs that were too young or that were too old. But eventually, they're going to grow up and be dangerous. Um, and, you know, costs a lot of money to feed a tiger or a lion. Takes up a lot of space. Where are they going to go? When, when they busted Joe, um, they found and this, this never really uh, made it into the special because they tried to make him look a lot better than he was. They tried to make Carol Baskin look a lot worse than she was. Um, they found an entire fucking graveyard of just dead tigers. They found dead chimps all with bullet holes in their heads. That's fucking horrible. Yeah. Yeah, it's not great. Wow, that is... That's an, like an insider kind of look at um at that that I didn't think we were gonna get today, man. That's very dark. Now, here's something that occurred to me while we while we were discussing this, man. Um, devil. Now I know you personally. Yeah. Uh, devil's advocate, though, uh, a listener listening to this might say, but you work at a zoo. Zoos are cruel as well. What would you say in response to that? So, zoos. Depending on the zoo. So, I mean, this is a thing. You know, there's different levels of zoos. I work at the Bronx Zoo now. Technically, even Joe Exotic's place was a zoo. They are far and away two entirely different places and levels and uh, levels of, of expertise and standards. Um, and I think a lot of people group them all together into one entity, which obviously I think is incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a big distinction. Um, you know, uh, we're an AZA zoo. I've worked at AZA zoos. I've worked at GFAS accredited sanctuaries. I've even worked at a lab for the vet school at University of Georgia. You know, I've seen the gambit of what animal care is in good ways. Um, it's all really regulated. Um, the people who take care of those animals, love them and care about them. And they want the best for them and they fight for the best for them. Um, so 
there is a difference between zoos. You have to look at things uh, with a critical eye. You have to be able to distinguish. Like like the Bronx Zoo, I a year ago, I helped load bison onto a trailer that got released into the wild. Like bison that I helped bred, bison that I took care of. We loaded them onto the trailer. They went out west. They are in the wild now. So zoos do have value in what they do. You know, um, and yeah, you know, is it awesome that they don't ever get to experience being in the wild? Ah, you know, it depends. I, I personally, you know, there's people who make the argument that's like, oh, well, these animals, they don't have to worry about being hurt. They have vet treatment. They don't have to hunt. And they'll make that argument about why zoos are great for animals. I'm like, yeah, but that's not life. You know, like life is experiencing hardship. Life is experiencing, uh, you know, having to figure things out. And yes, these, they are, honestly, those animals are completely pampered. They really are. Um, to the point where they're kind of spoiled and they can be a pain in the ass sometimes. <laughs> um, but they, but the other side of that coin is they don't know anything but that. Um, and this is going to be kind of a weird example. My cat, right? He's an indoor cat. Anytime he's gotten out the front door, he freaks out and panics and starts crying because it's not his world. He's terrified and he runs straight back up the stairs and then the door. It would be a similar thing for them. Um, they were all born in captivity. They were bred in captivity. They don't know anything else. Um, you know, there have been people and, you know, I talk about big cats a lot because that's like my thing. I've worked with a lot of stuff. I've worked with all sorts of deer, you know, antelope, primates, uh, you know, up to gorillas. I've, I've worked with elephants, um, but big cats are like my thing. So that's why I talk about it a lot. Um, and there's people who've tried to captive breed tigers or lions and then release them in the wild and they don't make it. They starve to death. Um, you know, they are very wild animals, even in captivity. They have very hardwired instincts. Um, but a lot of life things that they would life skills that they would need to survive in the wild are taught to them by their mothers. So the few times where people have tried to release captive tigers, they end up starving to death or they end up going towards people and attacking them. Um, so it's not as black and white as set them free, <laughs> you know, to the people who don't like things. Um, the only place that's really had some, some success, um, is an organization called IFA. Uh, International Federation for Animal Welfare. They're like the most kick-ass organization ever. They're huge. And they do everything from like pit bull rescues up to, you know, rescuing elephants. They're like the most cool, badass animal organization out there. Uh, they were working with the Russian government um, to release Amur tigers, you know, Siberian tigers, where they were finding cubs and rehabbing them on acres and acres of fenced-in land. And basically having very minimal human contact, um, and then they were they were uh, uh, releasing them back in the wild, and they've had really good success with that, which is very cool. Hmm. So, uh, not not all zoos are the same is definitely a big takeaway I got from that, yes. and, and and it's it it's definitely an obvious point because we've all been to like yeah. you know local county petting zoos and farms, <laughs> and then an institution like the Bronx Zoo. Um, which people people see from all over the world. That's def definitely a tourist destination for a lot of people. 
Um, let, well, let me ask you this. This is a question, because before you mentioned how the Bronx Zoo um, did have a system in place where people could kind of work their way up and work their way around yeah. the organization. Do, do you know anybody or have you known anybody who's like an old timer, you know, oh, yeah. probably should have retired, but started out selling the peanuts or whatever the case is, yeah. something along those lines. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I work with some of them still. I mean, without I mean, without giving away their personal identity, like what what, what did they start out at? It's like, what was their trajectory? You know, uh, some of them started out in the camel barn, like as like a high school summer job. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them had started out, I think, in the plumbing shop, like working with the plumbers on clogging toilets. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, it was all over the place. There's not too many of them left at this point, to be honest. Um, but they're around and they're all. They're old and broken. <laughs> it's, well, it's, like this, this, that job takes a toll on your body. It really ruins you. It's definitely a physically demanding job, right? Yeah. Yeah. What I tell people is, so people think it's all fun and games and playing with animals all day. What it actually really is, it's closer to working on a ranch where the animals are actively trying to kill you all the time. <laughs> Like, you know, we're slinging, like, 50-pound bags of grain all day long, bales of hay, throwing them around, like, you know, pushing around wheelbarrows filled with, like, you know, 300 pounds of shit. And I'm like, it's it's hard work. It's a lot. <laughs> and people don't realize that. And they – people who get into this sometime fantasize or, – or, or, yeah, fantasize, I guess, or idealize the job. And then when they see what it really is, they're just like, oh, uh, God, I can't do this. And it just hurts them. I would imagine you've been doing this quite some time, um, not not just the Bronx Zoo, but, you know, all of your, your internships and your different jobs and places you've worked at. You must have been attacked at some point by some animal. No, no. Careful. I'm good at what I do. Okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even one of the goats that you were trying to milk. Nothing, huh? I mean, I was bit by a monkey once. Okay. Tell us, uh, about, tell us about that if you can. It really wasn't that exciting. It was a little tiny... Uh, it's kind of monkey called Calatricket. They're a new world <laughs> primate. Uh, so they're like, not that big little guys. All right, so <laughs> but, uh, wasn't even was an angry, tamper. angry chimpanzee or anything. It wasn't no, a... <laughs> no, it was a little tiny monkey and I was holding it. Uh, we had to inject it, uh, with some medication. So we caught him and I was holding him and I had bite gloves on to be protected yeah. from being bitten. And he bit me right there, right in the webbing between my thumb and forefinger. God damn it. It hurts so much. Dealing with all these different animals, do you have to, or like, like as a requirement of your job, as a precaution, do you have to have like different types of vaccinations and stuff like that? We don't have to. Um, we do get TB tested, yeah. uh, tuberculosis, uh, frequently, uh, at least every year, because that is one thing that can go back and forth between animals and people. Um, I am vaccinated against rabies. Uh, I don't have to have that, but I chose to have it um, just because we do run into a lot of raccoons and opossums with uh, distemper and rabies. And sometimes we have to catch them. You have a lot of those guys around the, around the zoo uninvited probably, right? Yeah, dude, it's incredible. You know, the Bronx zoo in the middle of the Bronx has way more wildlife than you realize. I see coyotes regularly inside the zoo. Wow. So you, that's, that's to say that you guys can't necessarily control the, yeah. all of the, wildlife that comes yeah. in that's that's amazing because yeah. i had never thought of that yeah wow. there's coyotes and deer in the zoo and does that ever become a big problem that because i mean coyotes are predatory sometimes uh the coyotes haven't messed with too much i mean any of the animals that they can even remotely get close to are much bigger than them 
Mm-hmm. The deer, however, um, are a problem because they can very easily, we have, the Bronx Zoo has more species of deer than like any other zoo in the world. Um, so the deer can be an issue because they could spread diseases to our mm-hmm. captive herd that would kill all of them. You know, something that isn't even necessarily really bad for them, but because it's a natural pathogen to them, it doesn't really affect them. If our herds picked up that pathogen, it could wipe them out, you know, something like that. So, yeah, when there's if we see deer in the zoo, we got to do our best to get them out. Wow. I never thought of that. So what about this? I, is, is this is this ethical? I've seen these pictures and videos online where people breed ligers and different variations of, yeah. of interbred no big reason big cats no no reason and also is there like health risks and things like that like yeah so i mean i mean if you really want to go into the spiel i can give you the spiel <laughs> i i mean i i didn't i didn't invite you here to ask you about your technical death metal album jeff you know you, let's talk <laughs> let's talk animals right. let's talk animals so when i was at turpentine creek in arkansas we had two ligers um turpentine creek was a sanctuary they didn't breed anything um once an animal came there it would remain there for the rest of its life um, it would never, you know, get moved someplace else or quote unquote sold. So that was their home sanctuary. <coughs> uh, so there's two ligers there. Uh, they're both real cool, real nice karma and uh, Brady. Uh, and what happens with when you breed uh, a lion to a tiger, and I don't, uh, I don't remember the specifics of it. Um, but basically, it's been a long time since I've, I, I used to, give this whole rundown when I used to give my tours and my talks. Um, essentially the females stay like normal size. Um, they can, they, they have, they have traits of both lions and tigers in the terms of their looks, but also in the way they act and the way they vocalize. So they can kind of make some of the tiger noises, kind of make some of the lion noises and their personalities are a little different. Um, but the males get very big. Um, when you I can't remember what it is exactly basically there's effectively a gene that in when you breed a tiger to a tiger and a lion to a lion they get one, they get this gene that basically tells them to stop growing it shuts off the growth hormone <coughs> um, and they it only comes from one of the parents so when you breed a lion and a tiger together the males don't get that shut off gene and what ends up happening is the males don't stop growing they get mm. massive um, you know, there's been like laggers that are pushing like 900 pounds and granted, they're very, very fat. This isn't like a 900 pound muscular cat. They're very overweight, but the one I worked with, he was like pushing like 600 pounds. He was a big boy and he was sweet. He was pretty cool. I mean, he'd have his moments where he'd get pissy like any cat, but he was actually, he was, he was a cool animal to be around. Um, but as far as like, you know, their purpose, there is none. There's no reason to breed them. They're a sideshow attraction. <clears throat> and, and and I'd like to kind of segue, I guess, into something now that the opportunity is there. If you go to a zoo, because we were talking about what's a good zoo and what's a bad zoo. If you go to a zoo and they let you play with and handle baby tigers, lions, um, primates, um, that's like the very first and easiest way to know that that's not going to be a good place. That's a place that isn't looking out for the animals. They're probably nine times out of 10, they're doing shady stuff. If they're breeding ligers, not a good place. <laughs> like avoid those places. Don't give them your money. 
as badly as people want to have that experience and like hold a baby lion or a tiger, chances are that that animal is not going to have a good life and you're supporting that at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, man. Uh, loaded, loaded question. I'm glad I, I'm glad I asked that question, man. Um, I uh, wasn't sure where we were going with that one. So, <laughs> so, all right. You, you talked a little bit, this, this place, I'm sorry. What was the place in the Ozarks called again? Turpentine Creek. Turpentine Creek. Um, you, you go up there now. Can you tell me a little bit about the type of people that are like running this place and, and work at this place? I'm, I'm picturing some, like some, you know, no pun intended, so, grizzly old, you know, vets. So funny enough, it's it attracts people from all over the country. Um, it attracts people from like outside the country too. Um, the curator, the woman who runs, it's actually from New York. She's from a she's from Oswego, um, and she's fantastic. She busts her ass. You know, to stay there and work at that place, you really have to dedicate your entire life to that place. There's no outside life. There's no socializing or buying a house or, you know, doing things outside of the sanctuary. You really need to 100% dedicate your life to it to be able to stay there. And she did that. She's an amazing woman. Um, everyone else who works there, yeah, I mean, it's it's every, it's people from all over the country. Um, and funny enough... Northwest Arkansas is very different from the rest of Arkansas and the Ozarks. Um, it was in a town called Eureka Springs, which is like a tourist destination up there. A lot of bikers like to come through, but it's like this old kind of like, almost looks like an old gold rushy town. And, you know, it's got kind of like a cute little downtown area with some bars and restaurants. And it's like an old hippie like community that turned into like this weird tourist destination. Sounds 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 fun. Sounds like it could be it, fun. It was fun. Yeah, you know, it's it was it's a very unique spot in that state. And you go much outside of it, things get different quick. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, man. I'm sure. Um and then you move back to New York from there, right? No, no, no. Okay. That would be All quick. Right. From Arkansas, I went to Tennessee. Okay. Uh, from Tennessee, I went to Georgia. From Georgia, I went to Florida. And then from Florida, I came back to New York. And at all those stops, you're doing different um, different work related to this? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. I think I got, and Georgia was the GOAT thing, right? Yeah, Georgia's where I worked for uh, the university, for the vet school. Well, I mean, t- t- take us through those stops. What? Because what you were milking 60 goats at one stop. You're, you're, you're <laughs> playing with ligers at the other stop. What were you doing at the other stops? Uh, so in Tennessee, I worked at the Elephant Sanctuary. Um, okay. Yeah, that's where I worked with elephants for like a year and a half. Um, all elephants, all the time, every day. This, this... In a, like an hour and a half south of Nashville in a kind of middle of nowhere town. This is gonna kill me. Uh, how, how how smart are they? Like how conscious are they? Like they 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 totally oh, very. Yeah. So elephants are very smart. They're very easy to train. So you know we do a lot of training with all the animals. It's not like circus training, like you see tricks. It's uh, what we call positive reinforcement protected contact training. So protected contact part of that being uh, there's always some kind of barrier between us and the animals, so they can't hurt us. Whether that be a cage front or big bars, in the case of an elephant. I'm not like in there, like pushing them around. Uh, the positive reinforcement part of that being, uh, you know, 
we ask them to do stuff. We use targets. Uh, it's basically like a foam ball on the end of a stick that kind of tells them where we want them to go. And they can choose to participate or not. Totally up to them. Um, and that's kind of how we train them to do things we need them to do. Obviously, we incentivize them to do stuff with treats and food and, you know, scratches, stuff they like. Um, so that's how we get them, train them to do things we need. So in the case of elephants, um, you know, we train them so we can draw blood from them, so we can give them injections, uh, so we can work on their feet because elephants have a lot of foot problems. So their pads and their nails need to be trimmed. <clears throat> so we train them to do a lot of that stuff. Um, so elephants are very easy to train. They pick up on stuff very quickly. Mm. So they are smart. Um, but I feel, and this is my own personal opinion, I feel like a lot of their intelligence, when when people think that they're going to be like, you know, a very intellectually smart animal. And let me tell you, I've seen elephants do some real dumb shit. And I've seen elephants not be able to figure out things that I'm like, you you should be, you should know how to do this. You're, you're supposed to be the super smart animal. And it's literally, you can't figure out how to like, Wrap your trunk behind a log to grab the elf or grab an apple. <laughs> I think a lot of their intelligence, the depth of their intelligence is really emotional intelligence. Um, and don't get me wrong, they are very smart in the classical sense when we kind of interpret what intelligence is. Um, but uh, they're very emotional animals. They have very deep connections to other animals, to the people that take care of them. Um, and, you know, they grieve, they're happy, they're sad on levels that you don't really see a lot in other animals. Huh. Um, especially with like the familial connections, you know, to the herds. Interesting, man. Um, I, you know, I just thought of this too, because before we were talking a little bit about like, you know, the, um, the, the, the animal smuggling, the black market, that's, have you, ha, have you ever been somewhere where, an animal was stolen from the facility or something like that, or does that occur? Is that, you know, no, I hadn't, but that does happen. Um, there's been a few stuff, you know, and with TikTok, people are doing all sorts of dumb shit for internet clout. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, was it central park lost one of their birds, one of their birds of prey. Uh, I think it was just this past summer overnight, somebody cut the mesh and let, let the, let the eagle owl eagle owl out that's hard to say hard to say fast eagle that's a that's a shame because and now as you said most animals in a situation like that are not going to be able to thrive in the wild if you just set them free yeah yeah birds of prey birds of prey would probably be okay um okay like um owls eagles that kind of thing not guaranteed but they're kind of their their uh hardwiring is very basic yeah uh you know the term bird brain exists for a reason <laughs> let, let me get your take on this man this isn't necessarily in your in your uh field of expertise or whatever but it's a question that's been on my mind lately i've, I've been i'm going to adopt a dog uh probably in the next month or two man i'm i'm in that that, that it would make sense for me right now are pit bulls a dangerous animal I know obviously any dog has the potential, especially if you're adopting an older dog that's been experienced. But like I, I'm one of those people. I'm trying to challenge myself and keep an open mind. But but a lot of people just have a natural nope, not going to do it. Don't even want to see a pit bull. I'm going the other so, way. I'll I'll counter that with, um, you know, another question that I get all the time. People you know see us with animals like, oh well, does it bite? 
And I always answer it with, I'm like, well, does that have teeth? Huh. <laughs> so that's not a bash at pit bulls. That's a, any dog can bite you. Any dog can be aggressive. Um, you know, the majority of dog bites come from like chihuahuas and huh. um, dachshunds. They're just small enough they don't do damage. <clears throat> Pitbulls have the potential to be dangerous like any other dog. Um, you know, they're high energy dogs, that's true, uh, but they're also very loyal. Uh, and, you know, if you raise them right, they're going to be a perfectly fine dog. The thing is, Pitbulls right now are suffering from bad media attention. Yeah. Where anytime a pit bull bites someone or attacks someone, it makes the news. And it seems like they're happening more frequently than other dogs, right? But the thing is, there's also like 10 times more pit bulls in the country than any other, any other breed. So you're going to see the majority of dog bites coming from the dog that there is most of. Does that make sense? Uh, it absolutely does. And I would even say that I, I feel like I've seen the data to prove it by looking. I've been, you know, I'm not taking this this lightly. I've been looking at these uh, animal, the local Long Island animal shelters, what dogs are They're available yeah. for um, a few months now, you know, because I, I yeah. have, you know, a very specific situation with family and other things here. I want to, you know, I, I want to get a senior dog. and I, I have, you know, kind of. You know, situation I, I'm looking for with a dog. And, yeah, it's like you got to – I mean, there's a dozen pit bulls for every other dog that's out there. And it's yeah. it's it's sad. It really is sad. I'll, you tell, know? I'll tell you what, man. And, you know, up here, a lot of the dogs get shipped up here to be adopted. There's actually more demand to adopt dogs, like, in the Northeast than there are available. Hmm. So they all get shipped up from the South or, you know, from South America or Puerto Rico. Um, a lot. I, I know there's a lot of rescues that work down there that do awesome stuff. But – um. When I was living in the South, man, dog culture is very different down there. Um, you know, I had my dog when I was down there. I remember I, when I'd be looking to rent places and I'd be like, oh, well, I have a dog. Will that be the problem? They'd be like, oh, no, no, it's not a big deal. Then they'd be like, wait, is it an indoor dog? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, she, indoor dog? Yeah, she lives inside. And they'd be like, oh, no. So people down there, like dogs in the house is very frowned upon. Um, a lot of places people literally just have a kennel out back and that's how they keep their dog where they just keep them chained up in the front yard or not contained at all. <laughs> and everyone's, and nobody believes in neutering or spaying their dogs. So everyone down there is, thinks they're the next rich pit bull breeder. <laughs> and it was just pit bulls up the ass everywhere down there. Cause they're just running around oh, all over God. the place. Yeah, and nobody's doing anything to stop them from breeding. Nobody's neutering them. Nobody, nobody neuters them. Cause they're like, Oh, well, no, you, know, you gotta, you gotta breed them. Cause that's, you know, you gotta be right to them. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah, yeah, it's pit bulls have become such a cultural, uh, uh, thing, man. It's, it's, uh, in America, unfortunately, man. Um, and I, and you know, again, I don't hate any dog, you know, yeah. I've, I've met my neighbor has a great pit bull that I, I pet and everything, man, but it's just a shame to see them overbred and, yeah. and over, you know, like, like that. And then, so, and cause, cause they, obviously they must be overbred if so many are discarded. But um, I'll tell you what, man, I, you know, I, I volunteered at dog shelters a lot for a long time. And I, I mean, I've have not met a pit bull that I didn't love yet. <laughs> like they've all just been super sweet. So talking about volunteering you've done all that well wait a minute we didn't even get to the end of the list all right you got the um the elephants 
the big the big cats and the bears. You milked all the yeah. milk. You milked sixty goats. You got your <laughs> you got your pass for milking sixty goats. And then and then what else were you doing? What was was this like? A journey that you went on yourself, like I should do all of this stuff to 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 gain yeah uh, ex- life experience in my field. Yeah, that's essentially. I mean, it's kind of what you have to do in zookeeping. You have to like you have to move where the jobs are, and it's not like you know working in. I don't know. I don't know what corporate people do, but let's just say what a corporate person job has. You know, they can if they want to change jobs, they can probably apply to like ten other places within you know a couple miles. There's, there's only a handful of zoos in every state, <laughs> good ones at least, you know. Yeah, yeah. Fair so enough, you fair gotta enough. move for the work. So, um, what else do you end up doing? Uh, when I was in Florida, I wasn't actually doing anything. Hmm. I'd actually gotten a hernia Ooh. at my job, so I was I moved, and I was waiting for workers' comp to approve my surgery. And while I was recovering, um, I was looking for new jobs, and just about the time I was healed up. I was trying to stay in Florida, actually. I was dating a girl down there um, who was in West Palm Beach, which is where I was, too. And, uh, you know, Prospect Park Zoo in Brooklyn posted a job, which is, you know, Wildlife Conservation Society runs all the city zoos. And I applied, kind of being like, oh, maybe I'll, you know, I wouldn't mind going back to New York, like see everybody, be close to, you know, something familiar. I haven't had something familiar in a long time. Um and I wasn't like finding any jobs while I was down in Florida and the Florida jobs really pay all the Florida zoos pay pretty badly. Um, so I ended up getting a job at Prospect Park Zoo and moving back up. It seems like Florida, you could probably get a lot of like low rent jobs at like gator farms. And so there's probably a lot of stuff down there. that's like, I mean, th- th- there's a lot of. I'm sure there's a lot of great conservation oriented places in Florida. I'm not, I'm not yes. trying to dog the whole state, but there's also probably a lot of that touristy gator farm stuff, right? Oh, yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Florida is one of the few States left. And I think they changed their laws now. I think they did change everything now. So everything that's left is kind of grandfathered in, but Florida used to be the wild West for animals. You know, there used mm-hmm. to be, you could have a pet tiger, whatever you wanted down there. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of weird places in Florida for animal facilities. You you probably know what I'm talking about. There still is, I believe, up until you know a few years ago. Anyway, there's still there's a place on uh, I think it's I 95 in Florida where they have a, a tiger at a gas station. Yeah, uh, was it Florida? No, I, no, it was no. It was like I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like that was in North or South Carolina on your way to Florida. Okay, yeah, make okay, but you know what I'm talking yeah. about then. All right, yes. Yeah. That's no longer there. Okay. Well, that, that oh, was, yeah. I always thought that was a little sad, a little weird. Yeah. Very sad. Very shitty. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. So you move back to Florida. I mean, I'm sorry. You move out of Florida. You move back to New York. Um, yeah. Not, you don't initially land at the Bronx Zoo. Um, no, I was at Prospect Park for three years. Um, and I transferred over to the Bronx. What was Prospect Park like? Uh, it was fine. I mean, it's a lot of small stuff. Um, you know, it's like, for lack of a better word, it's like the neighborhood zoo. So, mm-hmm. you know, the biggest, most dangerous thing they have there are the baboons. Um, everything else is very small, little stuff. Um, I liked it. I mean, it was a nice, small little zoo. I lived down the street for a little while in Flatbush uh, before I moved out to Queens. Um, you know, I kind of did everything I could do there. Does that make sense? 
Fair um, enough. Fair enough. Before I like wanted to get back to like doing bigger, more fun stuff. And then, yeah, I went over to the Bronx. Baboons have a reputation as assholes. Is that warranted? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, if I'm going to like give you the real like nitty gritty on like zoo stuff, the one thing I can, couldn't be more specific about monkeys in my opinion this is a professional opinion not scholarly <laughs> but it is an opinion monkeys are basically i think they would fit the profile like if a psychiatrist was filling out like a checklist of all like the serial killer sociopathic tendencies <laughs> they're absolutely insane um and that's not to say like apes but monkeys man i watched those things catch animals and just torture them and there's nothing we can do to stop them oh so when something like that happens at the zoo you can't intervene no i'll tear us up (laughs) yeah yeah because that's well there's that like it was like a meme like a a few months ago there was like two gorillas fighting at a zoo and someone was like get the zookeeper it was like what's the zookeeper gonna do break them up you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean baboons have big canines but i mean i've and not even just baboons i've watched monkeys They'll, like, grab birds right out of the air. And then they'll just, like, pick them apart Ooh. a little bit at a time until they die. And then they do this thing where they smash them on the ground and they start rolling them. And then they just leave them. They don't even eat them. Mm. Yeah, monkeys are serial killers. Monkeys are creepy. Enter- <laughs> entertainment, man. That's just, just, for, you, just for entertainment. If you couldn't tell, I'm not what you would call a primate person. <laughs> too, <laughs> I like my cats. Too close. Like too close to, to human beings. Uh, you got to yeah. get completely away from that that realm of the animal kingdom. I, I I hear you, man. I get it. So, I mean, as far as like zookeepers go, there's different personalities within zookeepers. Because certain people like certain different groups of animals, right? Yeah, yeah. And amongst us, the weird people are the bird people and the primate people. The rest mm. of us are like, why, why do you want to work with them? <laughs> <laughs> why, why birds now? Now, all right. So why are, why are birds um, shitty to work with? Oh, birds aren't shitty to work with. It's just the people who are attracted it's to the, the birds. The are weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah, all bird right. People are weird. All right, fair enough, man. Good things to keep in mind when you go to the zoo, man. Hey, what yeah. what are some things that people from from a zookeeper's perspective, man? What do you wish the general public would keep in mind when they visit a zoo? Oh, uh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Honestly, like, stop screaming. Control your goddamn kids. Don't throw shit in the animal enclosures. Hmm. Like, do you want do you want them to die? Do you want them to eat that? And thankfully, thankfully, most of the animals are smart enough not to touch anything that people throw in. But just like be respectful like and especially with like the screaming and stuff like they don't people don't realize like that's a dangerous place bad things can happen there things can turn from good to bad very quickly so when we hear people screaming and they're just being assholes screaming at the animals our immediate reaction is oh fuck something's wrong like you're you're setting people off all over the zoo if you're screaming like that and it drives me up a wall especially the like control your kids like i i can't tell you how many groups of kids i will see 10 out of them standing at, <coughs> excuse me standing in front of an exhibit just screaming for no reason and i'm not saying like they're being loud and excitable i mean literally screaming as loud as they can for no reason 
it's like just like like why just control your kids teach them to respect everything and for jesus for christ's sakes like control them like be a parent <laughs> it's asking a lot nowadays unfortunately in some cases oh yeah but, man people suck yeah but before we <laughs> before we veer too too far into the over 40 bitching about kids podcast no i do appreciate that though man um, important for people to keep in mind when they go um uh jeff it, it's been great having you on i, I want to be respectful yeah. respectful of your time like at, like always but this has been really interesting and kind of a breath of fresh air man we didn't just talk about guttural vocals and uh um <laughs> and pedal boards all night uh um no shout out to all my other guests man i love talking to everybody but but i really do appreciate this talk um I'm going to ask you, uh, like, I, like I said, we're going to talk about music again. I'm going to ask you to yeah. recommend one older and one newer release of music just uh, for, for our listeners for the conversation. And then after that, um, you know, obviously I'll give you the opportunity for any messages uh, or anything else that, that, you know, you wanted to add to the conversation. Old album. Uh, I mean, anything by Bad Brains. Mm. We go for Bad Brains. I love Bad Brains. It's just the energy. Yeah. You know, that, there's that old CBGB's video of them from like 81, like when they were, when they were still like newer, ah, that live performance is insane. Um, the energy those guys had is nuts. <coughs> is, is it a little bit of a, um, what, what does it feel like to you to work in New York city now after having gone on all these far-fetched travels to remote locations and, and been around the country and everything and to actually be working with big cats, like you pictured yourself doing as a teenager, that's gotta feel pretty cool. It is. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of burnout in zookeeping, you know, it's hard, obviously physically. Um, and it does, it hurts people like people, uh, you know, I've, already had a few surgeries people wind up with bad backs you know i have two torn rotator work torn rotator cuff in each shoulder stuff like that um so there's a high burnout rate but it's it's tough mentally on people um you know you live longer than the animals you take care of you get close to these animals so there's uh you know there's a lot of sadness you know sometimes it's an animal you've known since it was born you helped make this animal and then you have to watch it die in your arms stuff like that um so there's a lot of burnout and i'm kind of at the point where i've accomplished kind of all the things i set out to do and i'm content i'm happy i like the monotony of knowing what i'm gonna do every day um so it's it's very satisfying to me to be like I wanted to do this thing since I was a little kid and I've done it. Hmm. And if I left tomorrow, I wouldn't have any regrets about leaving because I've done everything I set out to do. I would definitely miss it. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's very, I don't know, cathartic. Is that the word? Well, yeah. The reason, the reason I ask you, you, you talk about um, the bad brains, such an iconic New York city, group so that's just kind of i'm picturing you as a zookeeper in new york city after being in tennessee with you know and, and being in all these different places with elephants and whatever you know it's just um it seems like a quite an accomplishment and um quite a an interesting new york city story i mean that's the thing too we've talked a lot about um uh all these different things the bronx itself is such an iconic area um, uh, you know, anyone who obviously knows about New York City and the history of hip hop, 
you know, we talk about the Bronx and then, you know, in, in, in the culture of the 70s, obviously there was a lot of turmoil in, in the Bronx that, that continued. I mean, there's so much to it. Is it what, What's it like to you to, to go there every day for work? I mean, we're, that's got to be kind of a, an interesting place to, to show up and clock in. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we got little Italy to one side of us. Um, and it's one of those things I, I the Bronx is like my home zoo. It's what we call the zookeeping world. It's the zoo I grew up going to. And I like I know that place like the back of my hand. Mm. And I don't even like it just feels like home. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. Wow. That and is... the wilder thing to even tie in the whole conversation. When we were kids, did you ever think you would see deer all over Long Island? No, and I also you're right. Fair enough. Uh, there's there's a lot in uh, Kings. I drive through the old Kings Park Psychiatric Center grounds just uh, as a shortcut to get to my job. Really, yeah. a lot, and they're all over the place. You got to watch out, yeah. man. There's deer. There's coyotes in Long Island. Yeah, I live without traffic. Of course, you know the New York stipulation. Without traffic, I can make it. I live in Yonkers. I can make it to work in 12 minutes. Um, on that drive, I see turkey. I see deer. I see coyotes. Who would have ever thought that in our lifetime we would see these animals in these urban areas in the suburbs of Long Island? So, I mean, it's really cool to see animals like moving back in after, you know, Long Island was like almost sterile of wildlife for a long time. You know, it's funny. The city, too. You mentioned turkeys. I've just drive. I drive a lot, you know, around Suffolk County for work, and I, I, I saw a few wild turkeys just on, yeah. on the side of the road out in like Rocky Point. You know what I mean? So somewhere yeah, like awesome. you know, it's it, it, that that's an animal that I didn't see wild on Long Island ever in my life, uh, yeah. up until so, I mean, recently. Yeah, you're right. I love driving into the city, like into the Bronx every morning, and I see like animals. I'm like, like things are like, not, tell me wrong. The world, the world fucking sucks, but little glimmers like that being that I'm literally driving into the middle of the Bronx and it's like, there's like animals here. They were never here when I was growing up. Like this is, this is sweet. This is awesome. My father, what, what, what do you know about this? Let me run this past you. My father always told me that, uh, in the fields and in the marshes by JFK airport, there was lots of different animals because, a lot of them were stowaways on the different airplanes from all over the world and that there's like a lot of different wildlife that you wouldn't expect back there. And also that um, some of them may have gotten out of shipping containers and things like that. That was always his theory. And there were rumors. I would not be surprised um, as to what could survive and what couldn't. You know, any kind of reptile is going to die during yeah. the winter. Um, but yeah, that wouldn't surprise me, especially back in the day with how kind of careless people were um i mean i know for you know there are things at the zoo that we have that came in on like plant shipments like jungle world has uh these south american spiders that live all over the building that we didn't put there (laughs) um you know there's this this lizard called the tile lizard uh it's italian wall no it's italian wall lizard or tile lizard that i see all over the zoo and apparently they're all over the place at the botanical gardens that aren't from here and they're a lizard they're a little 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 tiny lizard yeah long tail because never in my life again jeff the house i grew up my parents house um never in my life growing up did i see lizards 
in the in, from from late spring all through the summer, there's lizards all over my backyard. Yeah, my back, probably them. Sunning on the back patio. The cats are chasing around. There's lizards everywhere, all over the place. And we think that they hibernate underneath that the foundation of the house and stuff. Man, I you know I yeah. don't know about that, but it's I've never saw that before in my life, and they're everywhere. I I just learned about them because I started seeing them at the zoo, and someone's like, "Oh yeah, they've been here for a while." Somebody released them like back in the day, and now they're like everywhere. And uh. Yeah, I guarantee you it's probably the same one. That's same interesting, seasons. man. Yeah, I, I said to my, my mother, I said, this feels like we live in Florida now or something. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Lizards mm-hmm. everywhere, man. Um, uh, All right, and uh, so fair enough. Jeff, what about a newer recommendation? Uh, So I've been listening to a lot of Anthony B. lately, Dance Hall. Not, you know, I, not I, familiar, not familiar. Okay. I go, yeah, I mean, as you know, everyone listening doesn't. I listen to a ton of stuff, but, you know, primarily it's like, punk hardcore reggae um yeah i've listened to a lot of anthony b lately he's like a, he's a dancehall artist who kind of has like um a little old school like roots feel to him i saw him i saw him this past summer and he like blew me away he was so energetic and so good awesome guy okay man and here's here's a question i got speaking of that when you go away when you you know vacation whatever like do you do you go to other zoos and go to other places or do you like need a break from no. it there are zookeepers who do that and they'll like go on vacation. Their whole vacation is based around seeing other zoos. I do not do that. I'm like, I feel like I've worked enough places and seen enough places um, that I'm just like, I'm like, I don't need to spend my vacation at another zoo. Like I, I'm at a zoo every day. I want to go to a beach and sit by the water and do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Fair I want enough, to drink man. some pina coladas and sit on the beach all day. Fair enough, man. And look, as I said, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, I got one last question that popped into my head with that one, though, man. What? <laughs> and I'm not, I don't want to go down a whole list, so I'm just going to ask you a generalized question about this topic. <laughs> Do you have a favorite cryptid or a cryptid that you think is probably real out there? When people and for the listeners, we're talking about, you know, there's. Cryptids are these, you know, non-proven, allegedly animals like Bigfoot or something. I mean, I mean, if I'm going to have to, like, pick one, I mean, it's going to be Bigfoot. Right. Makes I a lot feel of like there's, I mean, granted, there's a lot of stuff's been disproven. But, you know, as far as like a, 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 some large species of ape that we thought was extinct, there's a lot of wilderness left in the U.S. and Canada that is inaccessible. And there's a lot of animals that are very good at hiding. And wouldn't be the first time that we've discovered an animal we thought was extinct, let alone prehistoric that we discovered. I mean, you know, look up the coelacanth. Hmm. Coelacanths are, they, we found fossils of them and they thought they were an extinct prehistoric fish. Lo and behold, they're still alive and kicking and we find them. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't put it out of the realm of possibility. Fair enough, man. I always, you know, I always, and, and I don't know specifically about the Loch Ness monster. I don't know about that one, but I always think that for some of the same reasons you just said, the un, uncharted wilderness animals are good at hiding. That somewhere on Earth there could be dinosaurs, some form of dinosaur still. You know, I'm not talking about a ty- Tyrannosaurus Rex walking. I'm talking about, you know, I don't know, so, something somewhere that still managed to survive. You know? Yeah, dinosaurs are the best. I love dinosaurs. Oh man! Well, we—I would love to talk dinosaurs and Bigfoot all night, man. We might have to get a part two into this. But Jeff, it's been great hey. talking to you. 
Um, I really appreciate your time. I hope the listeners enjoyed this. It's a little bit of a different conversation than we normally have, but I think it turned out to be a very interesting one, man. <laughs> hey, um, yeah, I, I would love to come back for part two if you want. I'm down. Absolutely, man. Um, so, Jeff, I, ho- I hope to meet up with you um, in real life sooner than later, but this was great hanging tonight. And as, I always, as I always ask the, the, the guest, any parting words for listeners of the podcast? Um, and uh, uh, I, I guess... Well, I guess any any parting words for listeners of the podcast. You don't have listeners of your music unless the guys still found that Arise CD from back in the day. <laughs> uh, don't do dumb shit at the zoo. Be respectful. And, you know, just don't do dumb shit. Those animals are dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> like, people think they're all cuddly and it's all like, no, those animals are dangerous. They will mess you up. <laughs> They're wild, at it. dude. I the, the raccoons fight in the backyard. I I don't even get a go go too close, man. I close the door, you know. They're, they're wild. <laughs> they're not. They're I not. Love, a, rac- they're, love raccoons. Yeah, they're great, but yeah, they're they're they they have diseases and stuff, man. Back off. <laughs> um, Je- Jeff, it's been great catching up with you, Jeff Gross. Um, thank you uh very much for your time, ladies and gentlemen. Please tip your zookeeper. <laughs> And we'll, we'll have a good co- night or a good day, whenever you're listening. <laughs>